idea was that uh, if you have mindfulness on, on this side and then you have compassion on this side, the idea where, where I see it is that it's like a bridge, equanimity is a bridge from mindfulness to compassion. So it's like a little bit of a deeper layer towards understanding yourself, but then also being able to relate to the world uh, with that kind of more compassionate or, or softer way of being. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Well, hey there, Wisdom for Wellbeing listeners. I am so excited to be with you today and to be practicing feeling balanced as we talk with the equanimity enthusiast, Dr. Joey Weber. So Dr. Joey is an expert on equanimity particular. So this is a way of relating to the world where we notice our judgments, where we engage with compassion. And he's actually written a book called Why Mindfulness is Not Enough, Unlocking Compassion with Equanimity. And this is essentially an overview of the research he's done, including case studies and guided meditations that support you to integrate equanimity into your life in a really practical way. You'll notice in today's episode, he really highlights the practical, the practice of equanimity. And I think it is an incredible practice and construct in terms of how we relate to the world. You know, when we see people who are really grounded in their reactions and the way they interact with the world, I think there's a really connecting component to that. And I think that you will take a lot from engaging in the practices that Dr. Joey offers. You will get to hear all about me drinking my morning cup of coffee. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Dr. Joey now. Dr. Joy Weber, welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I am delighted to have you here with me and yeah, for the conversation to unfold today, Australian time and this evening in the UK. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks. Yeah, it's, um, we were just commenting, weren't we, that it's uh, really nice. This is the beauty of social media to get to interact with time zones and people who you wouldn't normally interact with. So yeah, it's um, 10 o'clock for me and early morning for you but the wisdom is still the same right exactly and this is this is what is so exciting and so connecting is that we can use social media and these these I guess social connection opportunities to really move into a sense of not only connection but I think of shared shared knowledge and wisdom and I'm, I'm so excited to to hear some of the wisdom that you'll be sharing with us at whatever time people are listening to this episode. But first, Joe, would you mind just sharing with us a little bit about who you are and the amazing work that you're doing? All right, yeah, so my name's Joey, uh, as, as you know. Uh, I'm a lecturer in health and social care 
at a university in Northwest England. And uh, I have recently completed a PhD in mindfulness and equanimity. And so I think the main reason that we're talking is because uh, recently I wrote my PhD into a down-to-earth book because, uh, you know, my passion now is all about spreading the equanimity message and the research that I've found because I think it has useful and practical applications for everyday people like me and you. Yes, and, and the title of your book is quite catchy. <laughs> so would you mind just sharing that? Yeah, so it's um, Why Mindfulness is Not Enough unlocking compassion with equanimity so it, it has to be a little bit uh, eye-catching that was the idea because um obviously we've had a huge explosion of mindfulness in in the western world and it's seeping into majority of uh healthcare sectors judicial um hospitals and education and we have some work in the in parliament in the uk so it's um it's been accepted, commonly accepted and taken on, which is wonderful. Um, and I guess the, the work on equanimity is not to discredit mindfulness in any way, but it's also to position it uh, clearly as a separate entity and also to, to open up a conversation of whether it is truly enough if we want to um, have a little bit more self-awareness and develop compassion, extend the parameters of our compassion, and also um, just bring that kind of wisdom element to, to the process. So, yeah, that's, that's the kind of uh, the title of it. And I have this tagline that I've been saying a lot recently, and it's, it, I aim to bring equanimity down from the mystical and put it into the lap of the practical. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's basically because equanimity is kind of an abstract construct for many. And it is, it was for me, and it, you know, it still is. And but the idea is to kind of really hone in on it and understand what it actually means, and I'd like a clinical uh, definition so it can be useful in research. Okay, well, let's start there. There's a lot there. This is <laughs> this is going to be so interesting to unpack <laughs> and explore. So, what is the clinical definition then? Well, the definitions that are created, um, they're supposed to, they're, they're like informed from Buddhism as a kind of mindfulness is informed by Buddhism, but I've attempted to make it secular. So you don't need to be a Buddhist or, you know, have a traditional religious um, affiliation with the construct. Well, I do, do understand that it's probably spoken about in most philosophical traditions mm. and contemplative traditions. Uh, I, I guess this is um, a collection of, of knowledge that's been informed by Buddhism, but is very much part of the popular mindfulness movement. So the clinical definitions that I've uh, created, there's, there's two, there's, it's two-facing. The first one's an inner equanimity, so an equanimity that we cultivate and establish uh, by honing our self-awareness. And then the second one is an outer one, how we then express that onto others and how we work with people um, that uh, may be difficult or just people we don't know. So the first one and the inner equanimity is it's a non-reactivity towards your discrimination faculties. Discrimination faculties is basically likes, dislike, qualities. So it's the idea that we're always categorizing into like, dislike, neutrality, the whole world in which we uh, 
interact with is is likely to be one of those three categories. So it's a non-reactivity towards those um, with uh, passion for self and others. So the idea is we're doing that with a purpose. So it kind of binds it binds what we're doing with compassion. So in that, it's providing a wisdom, providing like a, a contextual human uh, wisdom to your own kind of self-awareness. So who you are, why you categorize, and then how we behave is bound by compassion. There are so many layers to this, and we haven't even got into the second definition yet. So, so I guess there's a couple of bits I'd be really keen to grab out of there. You mentioned, you know, practicing with compassion. So, and compassion's come up a few times as you've described equanimity, and that that's a really important part of this, and part of I'm gathering this practical application as well. How how do we integrate that, or should we leave it until after we get to the second definition? What do you think? Does it come up again? Yeah, it comes up again. It's very much present in the second definition. So if, if you think that the first one's about self and your own mind and your own categorization, then the second definition is around a, a reactivity towards others with a, a certain patience towards their own discrimination faculties uh, so you can behave yourself and others so it's a recognition that what's going on for us is what's going on for them and so with that kind of uh, element of compassion it's it's a kind of a wisdom uh, element to that it's, it's always hard when you go into definitions because um there's so much like work around the definitions as a, as a pure like drop in the in the um in the in the ocean it's there's this non-reactivity element there's this awareness of your own categorizations. And then there's a, with the idea of behaving with compassion for yourself and others. So it happens in it and then we express it out. Okay, let's start with the non-reactivity then and work through. So what is non-reactivity? So, so a non-reactivity non would be that you are able to observe and kind of monitor your projections onto experience or, or, or phenomena. So you're able to observe and you're fully aware and present with the element of polarization that you, but, but of course we then don't react automatically to that. Okay. So normally, for example, like if, for example, I didn't you for whatever reason, then I would be behaving to you in a certain way mm -hmm. with equanimity. I would recognize that I have a dislike and that it's because of some form of context, it's probably not fully understood, and there's differences in our upbringings, et cetera. So I just kind of allow that to be there, but recognize that it's not necessarily a true depiction of the, of the relationship or the interaction. So then I move to the compassion bit, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm still gonna you warmly and hope you're well. <laughs> So this would this be a little bit of an overlap with the mindfulness practice then that actually noticing, you know, the thoughts, the aversions, the feelings that are coming up in a given moment. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's definitely overlaps mindfulness. I guess when you think of mindfulness, it's uh, the common things we think about are, are attention, awareness, non-judgment, open curiosity, perhaps. And so that's that's there. 
but I guess there's no mention of uh, discrimination faculty. So it's just the fact that the, the mere fact that we have likes, dislikes and neutralities towards what is ever present kind of work with that. And I've commonly said this before, but uh, you know, like non-judgment mm -hmm. kind of a term that's sometimes we are judgmental. Sometimes I think non-judgment can be like we uh, are just shutting off from the judgment. So we're not paying any attention to the judgment in a bit to be non-judgmental. Yeah. But with equanimity, you're kind of turning towards your judgment. You're recognizing that your judgment's there, but then you dissipate. It's a very subtle difference, but it's it, I think therapeutically quite profound. Very profound and profound because then it's acknowledging that this is part of the human experience, that we have these judgments that we categorize. And if we can perhaps expect that those things are going to be coming up for us, then I wonder if we can, number one, more compassionately relate to ourselves when we might have harsh judgments that, you know, might not fit in our scheme of who we want to be and how we would ideally like our mind to be operating. But then looking at others as well and recognizing that, you know, they'll naturally be having those experiences and may not have the know-how to be able to react in a way that is perhaps more compassionate or, or more friendly, warm, however we want to term it. Yeah, that, that's the, um, yeah, that's, that's the, the point there. It's the, um, I guess, the recognition that, there is something beyond the fact that, you know, we projected onto a situation that, you know, is actually um, comes from a multitude of different causes and conditions and reasons why the, this is happening. But paying a little bit um, of respect, I guess, to also the unknownness of, of people, including ourselves, because we don't really perhaps fully know ourselves and conditioning upon us. So it's asking us just to pay a little bit of uh, attention to that. So a lot of self-knowledge could be unfolded in an equanimity practice then. That's the idea, yeah. The idea was that uh, if you have mindfulness on, on this side and then you have compassion on this side, the idea where, where I see it is that it's like a bridge, equanimity is a bridge from mindfulness to compassion. So it's like a little bit of a deeper layer towards understanding yourself, but then also being able to relate to the world uh, with that and a more compassionate or, or softer way of being. This reminds me, there's an analogy about two bird's wings that you need, you know, each bird wing to be <laughs> to be sort of flapping, flying, however you put it. Yeah. So equanimity is kind of the wisdom perhaps of that bird in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess, I guess if you were in the bird, you'd be on top of the bird and able to <laughs> both sides. <Guiding> it. <laughs> yeah, you'd be, you'd be flying on it. And you're looking at everything. It's a perspective thing as well, isn't it, really? Yeah. So I think uh, Tichnat Han described it as, you know, being like on top of a mountain and you're able to see all sides. So you're not just coming from one direction and believing that to be true, but you're actually suspending that, your non-reactivity towards that, so you can appreciate the wider context. Yes, and I can see how the non-reactivity would be really helpful in terms of, you know, how we engage in day-to-day -day activities, not necessarily 
um, responding really quickly because we're anxious or fearful or overwhelmed. And I can see how that would have help in relationships as well. But would you mind maybe talking us through how an equanimity practice might enhance our own well-being um, and, and extend out to our relationship with others? So, so yeah, I guess, I guess it's like mindfulness and that there's a lot of um, knowledge about it and, and written knowledge or, you know, it's in lots of books, etc. There's a kind of a knowingness of what it is. And, but then also there's a, a guidance to practice meditation to kind of in, increase uh, the strength of the mindfulness that you have. So equanimity is the same. It is the same in, in so far as there's the knowingness, right? What is it now? Okay, let's do this. Categorization. But then also there's the direct equanimity meditations that can... Um, can enable you to develop that on a bit of a, a deeper level. And, and these meditations that, I mean, I've, I've written about them in the book, but they come from my uh, early awareness of, of Buddhist practice, Tibetan Buddhist practice, of um, practicing equanimity towards uh, friends, enemies, and strangers. It's the same concept, you see, of like, dislike, neutrality. Of course, when, when we speak about that towards others, we have who we like here, we have who, who are neutral towards others, probably a bigger pile. And then there's potentially people who we have conflict with or we dislike for some other reason. So the idea is you're equalizing that same uh, feeling towards or attitude towards each of the categories, the symbolic representation. And in doing so, you kind of, you know, I guess, cultivate a more equanimous mindset. So it's a, a constant returning to the to the understanding, the knowledge, the wisdom element, and then the practical um, as well. Could you perhaps talk us through how we might engage in a practice like that? Well, there's there's, uh, there's some guided meditations that um, involve stabilizing the mind and then introducing someone. You kind of create someone who you like, and then you practice the same kind of wishes similar to like loving kindness meditation like that mm -hmm. where you putting similar uh, methods onto this person as in like i wish you to be happy you wish you to be easy etc and then you do the same thing for someone that you don't know perhaps someone who's served you food in the canteen or a petrol station <laughs> it's something you just don't know right that you're just mm -hmm. doing the exact same thing and creating the exact same um depth of feeling and then, and then, of course, then you bring in the last one, the difficult, awesome. and you do the same. So this formal meditation, when we sit down, I might kind of work through these stages of, you know, wishing, wishing someone well and practicing this uh, equanimity in our relationship towards what's coming up in terms of us engaging in this practice is one way of practicing, but there is this real practical element. Knowing isn't enough. It's actually a practice in terms of cultivating our equanimity muscle, if I'm getting this right. Well, I guess, I guess it's like the gym, you know, if you, if you go and do tiny little repetition in the gym, you build the muscle over time. So you can certainly do that by applying the wisdom. And I created like a seven step method as well, which is like a kind of wisdom element right okay how would you do this on a on a basis day-to-day -day basis you know no, when you've got no time to formally meditate etc how you kind of go through the same stages so you, you do that stages how do we how do we do that in our day-to-day -day? like can I do it while I'm having my coffee or what 
what are the what are the practices that that maybe a listener could quickly give a try when they um when they finish off this podcast? Maybe I'll uh, send um the stages as a, a like an additional thing because yeah. obviously there's there's seven seven of them in the in the quite in depth. In depth. <laughs> yeah. yes, so I guess for example, you can go to the show notes or you can grab Joey's book. There's there's options, but yeah, do you want to give an example and and that might be the place to start? Yeah, I mean. We can just, you know, shoot with an example here of um, experiencing the cup of coffee or tea that you've got right there. So to be equanimous with it, it'd follow the same kind of process. The first one is that you recognise that you probably like that. You've got a kind of bias towards that. And then there's a a recognition that's uh, impacting the way you interact. And so you can become identified with the cup of part of your um, moment, if you like. And I guess to be equanimous with it, you're recognising that there's also the um, the tendency that we have to become over-attached or over-identified with it. For example, you want more and more of the coffee, you need more and more tea. And see what happens when the tea runs out, uh, potentially, is you become a little bit frustrated or sad or move on to the next pleasurable thing. And so I guess life can become a constant kind of searching and, and desperate kind of pleasurable things and avoiding the things we don't want. Uh, so you treat everything kind of the same insofar as you're having this a little bit more objective relationship with allowing the pleasure to be there, but then not becoming over-identified and attached with that. So then when it ends, there's no kind of uh, conflict or frustration within. And that's a very quick, you know, like, that's like once what stage one and two and then five six seven quite close but that's really important this this um we're kind of getting it that there's aversions that things come up for us that are uncomfortable but that attachment comes up as well so understanding our attachments and our desire seeking is a real important part of this process and this to me i can see you know a host of applications for you know, how we might use this skill in our lives, because it's not just that we're experiencing uncomfortable things, it's that we might go seeking things that are pleasurable for the short-term gratification that may not serve us long-term in terms of what we really want to hold for our lives. Yeah, and and that's the, you see, it starts with uh, likes, dislikes, neutralities. But I think once you do a bit of examination, you see that, the likes become uh, quite powerful. They become uh, emotional emotions and they we become over-attached and strong sense of what's right and wrong. We like that. Way. Then the, the dislikes obviously become a bit stronger, a negative emotion perhaps towards them. And then we become averse to them and maybe suppress, draw or avoid. And some of that stuff is not uh, necessarily healthy. So in, in, the, in the application, what you recognize is that the mind may start off with a small like and it becomes a really rigid point of view and I think what equanimity can particularly do well is in the, in the realm of conflict and uh, divisiveness and polarization which is quite a, a large thing that's experienced in the world and it's because everyone's so really strong with their likes and strong with their dislikes so we have complete polarity here and it's like you know anyone who comes in this sphere we like, and then we have them, and I think there we don't. And so this is the conflict, right? Yeah. With equanimity, we're lowering that. 
we can still have the likes and the dislikes. We will, but we're not necessarily swept off our feet by them so strongly. Mm-hmm. So it's like a mental protection towards yourself as well, I guess, because if a heavy emotion comes up or whatever, they were kind of swept off our feet. But with equanimity, we can we're aware of it, acknowledge it, and you know, eventually let it go. I suppose this changes the way we interact with people, doesn't it? Because when you mention sort of the just like these two camps that we experience so often in the world and kind of describe a rigidity to holding to to one or the other, if we were able to see that other people also have these um, attachments and aversions, our capacity to interact with them and understand where they might be coming from and why things might be feeling so heightened, so strong for them. I think that that would um, air with that compassion that you you know, have mentioned numerous times, compassion being such a vital part of this process in terms of how we then relate and the conversation might be different. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the equanimity filtering outwards. And then, you know, it's the, it's the pain. That's why the second definition has this patience, like be patient because recognizing that you're, probably strongly identified with your like or your dislike or your quality and that's influencing the way you behave and so I can if I'm going to be compassionate you know we can't force anyone else to be compassionate at least I can and you know we'll probably get that back but you know I guess if we don't that's part of our practice too <laughs> exactly so- yeah well that's what they say isn't it so with this, so you're bringing it from the mystical down to the practical. So, you know, you mentioned that this was a practice, a philosophy that had been developed um, from Buddhist practice, but that you'd brought it into our secular framework. Just, just so we understand a little bit of the roots. Is that where the practice, you know, the um, people you like, people that are neutral, people that you dislike, is that where that practice comes from, similar to a compassion practice? Or what's kind of the history in terms of how how this equanimity practice has been, you know, now integrated into, into our secular practice? So, yeah, so from a historical perspective, the, the lens in which I've seen it uh, and understand it is from a Tibetan Buddhist. Uh, when I was younger, I was kind of brought up uh, for the first eight years in a, in a monastic community in England. There was kind of lay practitioners, but then there was um, monks and nuns and teachers, and it was a community of um, Mahayana Buddhism. And so I first, you know, probably came into contact then, but was getting a bit more interested in teenage years. And then when I got the opportunity to do the PhD, I thought, okay, well, mindfulness is massive at the moment. Looking at mindfulness uh, research, etc., Essentially something a bit missing there that I think is really useful. I'll go back into the Tibetan Buddhism. And I also looked at other Buddhist traditions, so, you know, the Zen and, and Theravada, etc., just to get an overview of like, okay, so if this if this was the equanimity, that's kind of suitable to what everyone's kind of speaking about. So it's, it's from Buddhism. Uh, I'm sure, though, it's in Christianity and, and other religions, etc. I'm pretty sure there'll be different labels attached. I guess with all the different historical stuff, you know, I like the expression that there's different ways up the up the mountain. And there's not, so it's like I'm trying to. I guess with secular, you have to be appreciative of, informed from that, but also moving forward in this society, what what worked well for us perhaps, and so that's the secular route. But yeah, the Mahayana traditional friends, enemies, strangers um, meditation is an equanimity one that. It's there 
and there's also an equanimity one where you bring to mind someone that you that you know and then you kind of analyze that actually this person's also traded places sometimes this person's turned into a stranger perhaps the stranger there's been some conflict at times have been like figure or an enemy and then perhaps a back to a friend so it's, it's the it's the idea that everyone plays that role because of the category put on so there's different incredibly elements incredibly interesting um both in terms of the categorization kind of not being a stable process but also your history Jerry. that's that's a pretty interesting experience growing up and being in a, a monastic community is there anything i guess you know having had that experience like in terms of how people related to each other in the community, was that quite a noticeable difference to the experience you might have in life outside the community with that degree of practice equanimity? Did it feel like the relationships felt different or that the interactions were less quick to get heated or, you know, to go to extremes? Um, probably not painting a good picture of this, but probably not. Because I think, you know, like, I think there's this idea or stereotype that certain communities have it all figured out. But I guess what Buddhism's saying is that the human condition is uh, complicated <laughs> and, and it's, it's tricky. And so anyone who claims, you know, I'm a Buddhist, basically their job is to look inward and to look at themselves and, and their, you know, who they are and to look towards others. That's kind of pretty general in most Buddhism. Um, and so, you know, in an ideal world, I guess you'd see all really harmonious relationships. And I'm sure there have been, and definitely seen, I've also equally seen, you know, people in conflict. And they've come from this background. I guess it's, it's all the relationship with the knowledge, the, with the text, with the ideas, their point of intent from it. Just because someone claims to be something doesn't mean that they're, you know, free from that or equanimity because I don't think equanimity is a short-term fix it's a lifelong process and you know pure equanimity true equanimity I mean it's, it's almost asking a kind of impossible thing really a little bit like you know suspend judgment and non-reactivity towards your own it's like a little bit um it's a heavy thing to ask and there's a lot of questions in the book that come up that I try to address I kind of when I've been teaching equanimity the common questions that come up and they're going to ask me to recite them in a while. There's a whole section there of how I think it, um, I would answer back to certain questions um, about it because, yeah, it's, it's complicated. I think that's incredibly interesting because I don't know, you know, I can't speak to the, the community that, you know, you were um, within, but I know within certain communities, you know, I have a lot to do with yoga communities as well as um, some other frames. And there's a good vibes only mentality that I think is incredibly toxic and really disconnects from the human experience. And what you describe is that, you know, the actual point of this practice is to keep practicing that equanimity isn't a stable state. I gather that you're describing it's this constant practice of, you know, noticing what's going on in regards to those, you know, categories that are coming up in the mind, the thoughts, relating compassionately and engaging 
constantly in this practice that we're not suddenly at a point where we're free from it and it is good vibes only it's actually recognizing that these aversions and desires attachments are going to be coming up and we need to keep practicing constantly um, yeah that's a really a really well put comment it's 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 true it's kind of um you touch on a potential like spiritual narcissism perhaps sometimes i guess sometimes when we sign up to these um belief systems or or kind of good practices or things that kind of wow us we can you know just assume we become instantly aligned i guess sometimes there's the the assumption that you know we've we've got it then or you know something to be had but no it's just about reminding yourself i think that like mindfulness and everything it's a it's a moment to moment exploration and you can be mindful one moment and you can be mindless the next it's all about the next moment right so it's the same it's the same thing so so there's some sometimes there's some friction with there uh, perhaps believing we're now we're now this so we've got this off but recognizing that we may have understood that in that particular context the moment but then the moment's passed There's a beautiful lifelong journey to this. And, and for listeners who are resonating, they're curious, they're thinking, oh, equanimity, this is such a wise practice and an important practice. And you know, they might be noticing in their life where there are categories, where there's aversions, where there's attachment coming up. How can they, how can they work with you? How can they learn more, Joey? Well, uh, they can follow me on Instagram and try to do some um, posts and spread the message that way, social media. Uh, Dr. Joey Weber, or oh, there's there's obviously the book. I am trying to uh, plug that a little bit. There's not many Australians actually. There's been quite a few Americans, Canadians, English, different European countries. But as far as I'm aware, I've not shipped that many books to Australia. Um, so there's the book there. It's also an ebook and an Audible. I've recorded it on Audible. Um, I love Audible. <laughs> anyone who um you know might be cooking dinner or laying down with sleeping children it's perfect exactly yeah and then i'm starting to offer courses and online courses and those there's online um courses on equanimity that i'm in the process of of finalizing so they should be pretty much live by the time this goes live i think yes So I will, I will update, you know, and let um, listeners know when those courses are available. What, what website should people be going to? Where, where should people be heading? Of course, I'll have this in the show notes, listeners, so don't feel like you need to write it down, but just so we can integrate it to memory, where are we heading to find you online, Joey? It's www.equanami.com. E-Q-U-A-N-A-M-E.com. But it's like, it's you, it's about you, so it's- Equanimity. <laughs> I love that. Equanimity. Yes. So listeners, to practice your equanimity, <laughs> head to equanimity.com, find Joey on Instagram, and yeah, head to the show notes and you'll find lots of the details and links through there. Joey, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today. I will be noticing, you know, as um, I've set my coffee down because it's empty. <laughs> some desire coming up and attachment pulling me to the next cup so thank you for talking (laughs) me through that process and listeners i'm sure will be noticing their reactions coming up as we conclude our episode today okay and and thank you for for hosting and thanks for your intelligent comments and questions because i think we got got to a good place because of that feedback so that's great
Well, it was fantastic to get to talk through something that I think is so important for our lives. And I'm going to picture like a little fairy or small person riding a bird when I think of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll have to draw something. So how are you feeling? Curious about that seven-step method, I imagine, in terms of equanimity, but also perhaps noticing the ways that this might be applicable in your life. You know, how, how could you practice equanimity and bring it into your day-to-day activities, interactions, and relationships? So again, you can head to Dr. Joey's website, Equanimi, E-Q-U-A-N-A-M-E-E, and I will be linking to it in the show notes or at Dr. Joey Weber on Instagram. I will look forward to connecting with you soon. May you be well. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.